0: Big Wheelie Style is your favourite album title ever? Yeah. You're absolutely sure?
1: Mm-mm, yeah, pretty much.
0: The Rise of the Insta poets.
1: Yes, absolutely. This is quite an interesting thing, which seemed quite obvious to me when you told me about it, but then I realised, oh, hang on a minute. I haven't seen any poetry on Instagram ever.
0: Maybe you're not following the right people.
1: I apparently am not. I'm not like the 1.3 million people that are following certain Insta poets. It's fascinating. Are you going to tell everybody about it?
0: There's an article on the New York Times, um, and it's about a new breed of um, poets and short fiction isters, short fiction writers, um, who are taking social media by storm by posting things that fit in an Instagram photo or maybe a Tumblr post or something like that. So extremely short fiction or poetry, haikus, that kind of thing. And um, their work has, you know, gone viral, shall we say. And um, it says right in front of me here in the New York Times, the Web Poet Society, New breed Succeeds in Taking Verse Viral. And um, it specifically features a guy called... Uh, Tyler Not Gregson, um, who has gone on to get uh, a book deal as a result of his Insta-poetry. And um, I, this, is, this is not something new, really. I just... Uh, I don't know. I've not done an awful lot of research into this since reading the article. I don't know if that's something I should be doing for a show like this. But um, my initial reaction was, well, of course. Of course the Insta-poets are going to go viral. And this has been a thing... For a while um, but there's a difference between kind of going viral and then t- bu- and then turning turning it into a career, which is what uh, seems to be the case that the the publishers I guess are wise these days and so they are looking for people like this and thinking, well, if so many people are retweeting or um, liking or reblogging on Tumblr these people's uh, you know their work, then um, they have a huge Fan base, and hey, we're traditional publishers. This is where we come in. Let's steamroller this and um and see what we can do with it.
1: Yeah, um, and a lot of them have sold like hundreds of thousands of copies by taking on poets that they found on Instagram, which you know just blows traditional poetry sales out of the water. Really does. Um, and there's a lot to talk about with regards to this. Have you? Have you? Did you read any of the poems themselves?
0: I've got one right in front of me. It's um it's uh it's it's an example it's from the same guy and it says um it's kind of a bit like a post-it note but with like a, a tear like a, what looks like a carefully positioned tear on the uh, on one end and on the background uh is it's the, the the post-it note is on like a bed of leaves. So it's been you know, carefully positioned. And it says, we stumble headfirst into another season. The leaves watch us fall. And that's it. Yeah. Well, his signature. How does this make you feel, Donna, traditionally published poet?
1: It's really difficult for me because I'm kind of on the fence. I'm really glad that, that poets are, are getting seen and that they're taking poetry out to a lot of people. Um But... I think it's a very different kind of poetry I'd like to think it is to to the kind of poetry that that I have been writing. When I when I I see poems like this and and there's lots of different kinds of of poetry that's that's succeeding online on Instagram or Twitter or wherever people are sharing in Tumblr um but a lot of it I that I've seen so far I would say I can see why it appeals to the masses.
0: It's an interesting way of putting it.
1: Yes, it's not, it's not so much that there's good or bad poetry. But if you take, for example, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. Fifty Shades of Grey is something which, you know, just basically appealed to a hell of a lot of people. doesn't necessarily mean that that's the kind of book that I'd like to write. And I would probably be happy enough if I got a book published that I was, that I was proud of that didn't sell millions of copies that wasn't Fifty Shades of Grey. Do you get what I mean? what i'm saying with with this i'm not going after not going after a bestseller necessarily although it would be nice
0: but do you think that that's what people who are who are kind of writing this extremely short you know haikus and that kind of thing uh, that they are that they were seeking sort of uh, huge fame and fortune or do you think they were just it was like a hobby that escalated out of control
1: um well what I've tried to imagine is, because I've posted some of my poems before on on Facebook and Twitter. I've never done it on Instagram, which is really interesting. um and I've also never thought about like kind of attacking it in a very strategic way, which you know I mean that's what I do for my job. I don't have time I feel to do that in my private life, although I can see now that that's what people of our generation and writers should be doing. you know I should be totally targeting specific people and and getting my poems out on Instagram as soon as I read in this article that Khloe Kardashian had retweeted somebody's poem on Instagram, and that was basically what started the ball rolling for them, and that they had after that, you know, thousands and thousands of likes, and and then they got a book deal and things like that. I can see that that's, that's you know, a really kind of savvy way to go about it, but, but that's just, I don't really feel that that's the writing I'm doing. If I, with that poem that you just read out there, for example, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, like, to me, that's not a poem that blows me away. That's not a poem that I read, like, one of Seamus Heaney's poems where I'm just like, he said something there that, you know, nobody else really could say, or he said it in a way that nobody else has ever said it before, um, something that resonates with me or that, that just, you know, makes me look at the world in a different way, and that, to me, is what poetry is. Um, and there might be poems on there that, that, that do that, but I doubt that's what people are sharing, and, and you can see he's, this guy that you were just chatting about there, has got a massive female fan base apparently. He's basically writing love poems um, and poems about love. And he's a guy, he's coming in like a sensitive guy. He's young, he looks pretty cool, and he's got people swooning. Um, and he knows how to work it. So good on him. I totally think that's fab. But, you know, I'm not going to be, if I start putting my poems on Instagram, you know, about like blooming puppets that look like children being pushed around and i'm um, chloe kardashian's not necessarily going to be retweeting me and i'm that's fine you know
0: so the example i think i've got a couple more examples for you here in a second but the example that i i just read out which is the first picture so this is the one that everyone's going to see when they read this new york times article we still it's, ha- it's a haiku we stumble headfirst into another season the leaves watchers fall it's um i agree with you it's kind of it's it's okay we're not, here, we're not here to do a review of the poetry though, really, but let's no. do that let's do that anyway. <laughs> it's okay, but it has a certain greeting card feel to it.
1: Absolutely. or like a, a meme, you know, like on a photo, the people are sending these around on social media like you know, let's all let's all have hugs and rainbows and be good to each other. I have a lot of people, um, Facebook friends and stuff like that, that seem to every day just want to like you know make me feel great about clouds and rainbows.
0: Yes, it I agree with you and it has that quality to it. It's it's kind of I mean the the I mean the key thing is the lead the leaves watches fall and I just you, you you read it the first time and you think, Oh that's quite lovely and then you read it the second time and think where, what what's what's, the, what's your point? <laughs> and <laughs> and part of the problem I think is um is it's incredibly hard to write extremely short fiction or poetry frankly but extremely short poetry let me just find another example let me click through on this slideshow because we're probably doing a huge disservice here's another one we the haunted souls the waltzing ghosts still wishing to dance together so that's another haiku about love i mean i i can think of a couple of people i follow on twitter who occasionally throw in the odd bit of poetry and it's amazing they don't do it in the same way as this but you can do an awful lot in your uh, in your short uh, space of uh, paper for want of better phrase but I mm-hmm. think there's something about the way that um, this particular guy this uh, Tyler Knott uh, Gregson um, you can see by the way he's framing them he's thinking about it and I've got a, um, this is a uh, this is not criticism in the least so there was the one with the leaves on the background and here we've got one uh, that's got kind of his his ripped jeans and it's clearly taken with a Actually, it might just be a mobile phone. It doesn't look like good, a good camera, but like it looks like it's been thought about, like the framing and all that kind of thing. So it does like that there is a certain amount of, um, I don't know, thinking about it. Um, so here's here's another one. I don't know who this one is. This is a different person. Uh, There's a spelling mistake in it. That doesn't help. Uh, your first love isn't the first person who... Ge- your first love isn't the first person you give your heart to. It's the first one who breaks it. And that's got, you know, five thousand likes and me and
1: Oh, I mean, don't even get me started on that one. I, I'm not even going to comment on that poem. I'm gonna get myself into all sorts of I'm getting sweats just hearing it. I mean that is is that even a poem? That literally just sounds like something he's read on dunno. I, I don't even know where.
0: Here's the here's one from the guy who's um who got all the uh the Chloe Kardashian um like or read i don't know what the terminology is on uh, instagram um
1: repost i think
0: yeah somewhere someone is thinking of you wishing one day somewhere somehow you'll meet i mean i just find it i think it's it that they're fine but they're just like you know it's like a they're um i don't know very cliche and uh it is like you know quite greeting cardi now it this is.
1: and also you know you were saying about the staging of the photo and everything as well i mean that's what you know we all know you need to do that they are basically they are creating this online persona of of this kind of you know very accessible poet that that you know just kind of scribbles on paper and puts these things out there i don't know if you saw um since we recorded last time actually that a model from australia has um has ditched instagram and has written a, a, a piece which has just been shared all over the net about um how empty her life has been, and how you know she's she's saying no to it now. Finally, she had loads and loads of followers, and just talking about what she had to put into every single shot that she put onto Instagram, how much time, how many takes. Did you did, read about
0: that? I did. I did. Uh, I didn't read all of the article, but I did. Uh, I did read a bit of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's what that's what it takes. This this is not this these people who are doing these, you know instagram poetry though this instagram poetry they are having to put a lot of time into it so it's it's a, it's a decision you have to decide i'm going to go down this route you know as well um i i just i feel like i i, I would just much rather spend time actually crafting poetry but having said that it was um national poetry day a little while ago and i decided because it was the theme of light and i looked through my collection and i did have quite a few poems that had some kind of element of light in them i decided to share a few um just in that one day and that was quite interesting i mean one of them is is my most retweeted tweet that i've ever had so i can see that there is a real appetite for you know you know digestible poetry and uh online and i think i would like to explore it a bit more but i, I i'm not going to be i'm not going to be an insta poet i doubt
0: i think it's um I, I first of all i think there's an extremely strong chance that we've come across as quite snooty in the last 50 minutes about this um, ah,
1: i said good on him because it's getting poetry out there but it certainly doesn't mean that you know you have to think it's amazing poetry
0: no i well that was that was what i was going to say afterwards like the i the concept is one that i really like and um and I've actually sort of been doing myself for a little while. I started to do a, a Tumblr site called Index Card Shorts two or three years ago. I didn't do much with it really. But um, since I started my, I rebooted um, my my newsletter for writers, which I'll talk about later, uh, the com. And every week on that, I do a short, an extremely, extremely short. I dunno it's not even flash fiction it's a bit like this, but um hopefully less greeting cardy and um i do uh I do put some thoughts into it, but I purposely don't spend two hours doing it, and I purposely don't kind of make sure it's absolutely perfectly framed. I just write it in a page of a notebook and um and then um and then take a photo and 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 get it done It's all done in about twenty minutes um but it is very, very difficult. And when I'm, as I'm doing these um, short pieces, I don't really know what to call them. Um, but as I'm doing them, I'm, I'm not worried too much that they're not my best ever work. And I don't, and it, they're not, they're not the same as the examples we've just read out. Um, they're not really about love um, specifically. They're not meant to tug on the heartstrings. They're more kind of like scenes, like little postcards, that's how I imagine them, like here is a postcard of something happening, and I'm giving you a very limited amount of information, and you can build the rest of the scene yourself, because this is all I'm giving you, because all I've got is this short space, this uh, short, uh, you know, finite amount of space that I've got on this piece of paper in my notebook, and it's actually quite good fun, I quite enjoy enjoy doing it, even though it doesn't take me, you know, it doesn't take me very long, and... It's kind of nice to have done one like I've done one for the last eight weeks, and it's you know it's hardly it's hardly a it's not a second novel, I know that, but you know it's um it's a it's a habit it's something that I'm now doing every week, but one of the things that I really like about the idea and I like about um you know the insta poetry idea is the idea of working within constraints, which is kind of the opposite of a novel and it's one of the most difficult things about writing a novel is that there are pretty much no constraints unless you you know unless you put your own constraints on your work for whatever reason be that structurally or i don't know setting wise but i mean ultimately um you can do what you want with the novel but when you say to yourself i've just got an index card or a post-it note and i am going to try and write a complete to use my own words scene then um there's something quite empowering about that it makes it really and it makes the it's an interesting format but i um, you know you must know all this donna being a poet is that how you think when you write your poetry
1: yeah, well, there's just there's something so satisfying about having things in very small chunks, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I feel like I feel that way, particularly about pineapples.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't really chomp down on a whole pineapple. It's true. I've never done it. Um,
0: it's going to get messy.
1: It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think there's so so much potential. I really do. And I I, I didn't mean to come across as snooty. And I've just been sitting here trying to say that like it's very funny, this, this idea that like, you know, poems, some poems are better than others. I mean, haiku and short poems, there are some absolutely amazing examples and I really would like to try to come up with some, think of them. Um, there was a poem, a poet in Ireland, Gabriel Rosenstock that I knew that was writing a lot of haiku, He was really, really good, amazing at it. Um, and, but they, these, these aren't the people who are putting them out on, on Instagram and stuff like that, you know? So it's, I don't think it's to do with the, the type of writing. I think you could, you could share anything online as long as it was something that really just like had, you know, that pow factor. But yeah, is I the, just worry that that's not what's popular.
0: Is the pow factor any different to the wow factor?
1: <laughs> yeah. Pow is more violent.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So the pow and it's like, <laughs> that's how you feel after you've read it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see. I didn't know that. That's, um, That's a piece of literary theory I wasn't aware of.
1: It's um, also interesting. I was, before we recorded and before you sent me the stuff about the Insta poets, I was um, trying to clear up a little bit on my bookshelf and do something which was very, very um, difficult for me, which is throw away books. Well, give away books, I should say. Um, It's not easy to do that, is it? I don't know whether you feel the same way.
0: Um, I really struggle to give away books. I've got pretty much every book I've ever bought still in my possession.
1: Yes, me too. But luckily, I don't find it as difficult to give away my husband Morton's books. <laughs> uh, and he was, he was all for it. He was the one that was like, let's get rid of this. Who wants, honestly, we have like a, an illustrated book about Poland. And that's lovely that somebody gave us, we've read it. Well, not, not. Not really, actually. Um, We've had a flick through, and then we can send that love on somewhere else, you know? Um, Anyway, I was looking through my bookshelf, and um, I came across a book that I was bought by a a friend in India, um, by, I think, probably India's most famous poet called Rabindranath Tagore. I don't know whether you've ever heard of him.
0: Um, Once again, that is someone I have not heard of.
1: Well, that is somebody who is extremely revered um, in India and all around the world, and I was having a flick through his poems and they were exactly the same kind of poems that we've like talked about here. They're like fragments, like Sappho, you know, the 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 ancient Greek poet or poet. Um, so small nuggets of kind of, they're almost like pearls of wisdom. Um, and I was reading through and I was just thinking, cool, you know, this is just really not what I'm into. And this is a really revered poet. And I don't feel that I'd ever be able to say that you know, to my friends or to... Well, I've just said it now your listeners.
0: You kind of just have, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but people, it's like a very personal thing as well, you know, like nations, they they take poets on as, as representatives of their whole culture, like Seamus Heaney in Ireland or, you know, I'm just trying to think about other poets in other countries, Ted Hughes, T.S. Eliot, all those guys. Um and so i i i don't really feel that i i could say that to to my friend who gave me the book in india obviously it's a gift as well but anyway long story short that is really really old poetry and it's exactly the same kind of poetry which is now suddenly um become popular again with insta
0: poets well it's the format isn't it can i can i give a book recommendation which is along these lines
1: yes you certainly can
0: it's more of an author recommendation that i'm um, i'm only really just uh Exploring uh, Lydia Davis. Are you familiar with Lydia Davis's work?
1: Um, the name rings a bell.
0: She won the um, uh, Nobel Prize for Literature in 2013, I think. In what? Bra- no. I think so. Let me check that.
1: No, what? A, Thomas Transtrom or whatever he was called, the Swedish guy, he won. And Helga, I'm just... Was it in
0: 2013? Let me see. Lydia Davis. Doobie-doo. And what about
1: old... Um, Oh, my goodness. Hang on a second. That can't... Have we really... I tell you what, the the Nobel Prize comes around so quickly, I I just can't keep up with it.
0: Yeah, so the the reason for that is I'm absolutely wrong. She won the 2013 Man Booker International Prize.
1: Ah, good. Yes, I was... (laughs) Good. Mm.
0: So, um, yeah, so she won the... Which is still good. I mean, she should still be very proud of that.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: It's kind of, you know, it's probably second or third on the list. Um anyway, I am in the process of discovering her work and I like it a lot. And she is um she has written a couple of novels, I believe, but she is primarily known for her short stories and the fact that her short stories are extremely short and I reckon some of them could probably fit on an Instagram post. Um some of them are just a, a couple of sentences and some are, you know, more. They're you know a few pages, more standard length. Um but a lot of them are quite short. And I really, really like that kind of thing. I is don't, that
1: flash fiction?
0: That is, is that, that is a technical term for this kind of thing. Yes, flash fiction, mm-hmm. very popular on the internet too. And you could argue that's what I've been doing in my uh, newsletter. They could, they, you know, they are sort of flash fiction. But flash fiction does tend to be, I think, two to five hundred words, maybe even a little bit more, maybe up to a thousand, although I might be stretching it. Whereas some of this is literally uh, some of Liddy Davis's. Um, uh, stories are some of them are, uh, yeah literally two sentences less than 50 words um but they're great and it's nothing like the kind of uh, they're not soppy they're not they're not they're not for the kind of effect we've just been looking at the, those haikus we just read out they are no,
1: exactly um, there's so much I mean it's it's such a skill isn't it I mean to be able to get that across in two sentences that's amazing
0: yes i wish i'd got the book next to me to uh, to read one um, but I don't. But but maybe I'll read one next time. I'll put a link in the show notes. Do you know where the show notes will be, Donna?
1: Yes, they will be at 5by5.tv slash wfyl 156.
0: Yes, and the book I'm reading by Lydia Davis is called Can't and Won't. Uh, but she, I don't, I don't think that's her most famous work. But it's the one that I saw. I love the cover, so I got that. Um, but I, I highly recommend if you're into short fiction. Indeed.
1: You're a sucker for a lovely cover, eh?
0: I'm a sucker for a lovely cover. That's That should be on a bloody post-it note. Right, shall I talk about my audiobook?
1: Oh, please do. <laughs>
0: um, that sounded a bit like you weren't that bothered whether I talked about it or not.
1: No, no, it's great because then I can scratch my nose on mute.
0: Um, I thought that it would be somewhat interesting if I talked about the process of making an audiobook. Um because I don't know well, I've only done this once, so I don't know whether this is a typical way of doing things. I suspect possibly not in some of the some cases, in some of the things that happened. Um but it's an interesting story, so I will I will start um with the fact that it exists. Um A is Rangelica, my debut novel for those who haven't listened long, um, came out in twenty twelve, so that's three years ago now, don't remind me. And um and I was, you know, I'd always liked the idea of having I mean, who wouldn't? The idea of having uh, a, a paperback version and having an audiobook version. You know, as many versions as possible really. There's also a large printer version with an entirely different cover, which is for people who are um partially sighted or have sight problems. You can get that in libraries in the UK, true story. Um but the one thing that I didn't have after three years was a um, a a uh, an audiobook. And, um, and I kind of thought I should have one. It felt like the, not that I should, not that I was entitled to one, but, you know, I'd really, really <laughs> like it to happen. And so the start of the story is that I'd considered, um, you know, having a go at one myself. But of course the problem, as in recording one with this very microphone sat in front of me, because I've narrated some of my, um, novel before, you know, and I performed it in front of, you know, audiences, that kind of thing. Um, so I thought that I could probably give it a go. But of course, if you sign a traditional publishing contract, usually you would um, you would uh, give the rights to the audiobook away, just like you would potentially film rights or various other rights. So, um, and that was the case. So I, I didn't have the right, literally, to um, make my own audiobook. So um, I did contact my publisher, which is Legend Press. Legend Press published the uh, paperback version. And I did kind of have an initial conversation about potentially getting those rights back, which is something that authors can potentially do. So um, if that had have happened, I would have, I guess, I don't know exactly the details, but I would have worked with my agent who would have, um, you know, we would have had the rights to the audiobook handed back to me and then I could do what I want with an audio version of my book. But um, as it happened, when I got in touch for kind of initial kind of feelings out about that, uh, it turned out that the book was actually with some publishers at the time. And and I hadn't realised, I hadn't known this, but it was on the cusp of potentially being picked up um, anyway. Um, so that was, that was, um, interesting. The fact that a publisher, uh, you know, your publisher could be working on things and you don't necessarily know. And I think that's quite a normal kind of thing is that you always hope that they are trying to obviously sell the book to as many countries as possible and to release it in as many formats as possible. Um, so it was quite interesting to kind of find that out. It's quite exciting to hear that the book was effectively out on submission with, um, audiobook publishers. Um, but i didn't hear anything for quite a long time it was about a year and uh, you know i was you know i worked full time and kids all the usual stuff and um, and so it was a while before i thought about it again and then i thought you know what you know it's obviously not sold so maybe well maybe i should give it a go myself and see if i can get those rights back and so i got back in touch with the publisher through my agent which is what you would do if you have an agent this is one of the things that they are extremely extremely useful for is that they can Advise you, especially if you're a debut novelist like me, and you you know you kind of don't really know what you're doing. In lots of cases, um, they're really great for suggesting how things might work, whether you should or shouldn't try and do these types of things, and just giving you different scenarios and then helping you make decisions. Anyway. Got back in touch with the publisher and again they said it was um literally out on submission, some like a new round of submissions, and so I said, Okay, that's fine, uh, let's give it one more go, see if we can sell this audiobook. And then a fortnight later, um I did get an offer for the audiobook. So the reason I tell you all that is because it was um several years between me having my paperback book published and then going through more rounds of submissions for the audiobook and then three years down the line or just under three years before a uh, you know an audiobook is in a position to be released so it's quite a long time isn't it so you can again i mean i this is what we've talked about lots you it's this is one option this is one route that you can take or you can you know these days you can uh release your own audiobook if you self-publish you don't just self-publish your um you know your print book you can also go through audible.com and there are lots of services to put together good quality um uh, audiobooks too so just the fact that it took so long was uh you know interesting really i guess um and was fine like i it was I, I was absolutely fine with all of that um but i don't know does that donna you've not spoken for five you know five, 10, 50 <laughs> minutes does that
1: I had a really itchy nose <laughs> um have you listened to it
0: um, I haven't listened to all of it. I have to say,
1: what did you pick bits out that you wanted to listen to, or did you just listen to the start?
0: Well, I listened to. Uh, I listened to. Um, I listened to the first chapter before it was even made because the so r- the reason it was you know great that it was picked up by a publisher primarily. I should say that this was not remotely financially lucrative, much like the print book wasn't. That's fine. We've been through this before as well. That's just one of those things when you're um, an author of, you know, it's very difficult for. um, My book had been out three years, so it's very difficult to suddenly come up with an incredibly lucrative uh, audiobook contract. It just wasn't going to happen, and you know, that's. I understand that. I understood it. I understand it still. Absolutely fine. The main thing for me was, like I said, completing the set, really. And having something that was good. Yeah, that was important to me, too. And the benefit was really having a professional actor. So an actor called Tim Bruce. um, He is a professional voiceover artist. And he asked me, along with Oak Hill, who are the publishers of the audiobook, whether I wanted the book to be read RP or whether I should... Or whether he should go for a Yorkshire accent?
1: Oh, that's a that's a really big question.
0: Indeed, and so I got, um, I said, I'm not sure. Can we, you know, can I hear both? And so the first chapter of the book is very short. So um, he very kindly did two versions and sent them over to me, and I was involved in that process. So that's another thing that I think is worth mentioning. That. Um, I was able to, you know, have an opinion and, and talk about how I wanted the narration to sound. And we went for the Yorkshire accents in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did hear it then. And I, there is a free sample now available on my website. You can listen to it if you want. It's ianbroom.com slash Angelica. And, um, and so I've listened to the free sample, obviously. And I haven't listened to much more than that. I find it quite hard to listen to it.
1: Yeah, well I can I can imagine that's why I asked.
0: Um and it's not because it's not good because I'm list I when I listen to it I think this is re- you know it sounds professional His Yorkshire accent he's not from Yorkshire but his Yorkshire accent is is good and he reads it really well <laughs> but he doesn't read it how I've read it for years if that makes yeah. sense.
1: Of course, of course. It's, it's it must be a bit like well, if you've written a book and it gets made into a film, it must be so weird for the author to go to the cinema to watch it. I mean, obviously, a lot of authors have a lot of input in their films these days. I think, don't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, I think I think that is the case, um, especially for big budget films.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool, though.
0: It's very cool. It's the things that I struggle to listen to. It's the it's the it's the way certain sentences are phrased. I can think of. Uh, sentences that I agonised over for y- literally years and in my head they are um I don't know read or expressed in a, a certain way the character says these things in a certain way and I hear them back and he's reading them differently and it's not wrong because I've got no idea how people who read my book read it in their head I've got no idea how they do that and my version of the book is just my version of it really if you're a writer then um your version of it once it's out in the world and someone else is reading it you know their version of it is or their interpretation of it is um is as valid as yours i think and that was a really and
1: amazingly useful as well like it's kind of it, it something which could potentially affect the way that you write your next book you know if you if 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 people could read th- what you've written in a completely different way that's going to give you a whole new perspective on 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 the way that your writing is interpreted, it's a bit like when I've had reviews of my my book in the past, where people have, or reviewers have talked about a poem in a certain way, or that I'm asked, you know, assumed that I meant something when I actually meant something else, and that's really interesting for me too because I it's so vital to have that feedback to say that's really really cool to know that that it doesn't really matter that I meant something else with that sentence. The fact that people are able to get their own uh, meaning out of it means that it it talks to more people than you might yourself have intended and that's that's a really great thing you know
0: yeah absolutely and it's um I, I, the, it's it's just it's just an unusual thing to to go through. And I, yeah. hadn't, I think I wasn't really expecting it either because you know it's been a it's been out for a while and I've not reread my own book for I don't think I've ever reread my own book but you know I'm not even flicked through it for a, for quite a while then all of a sudden I'm hearing those words again and it just sounds different as someone else's reading it and I thought gosh I've never even heard anyone else read this book because inevitably it's always been me and it just really it was just an unusual experience to hear someone do that. Um, Have
1: have we ever talked about this before? Have you considered writing it, converting it to a screen adapting it, sorry adapting it to a screenplay
0: um, I have actually I have considered doing that, I've actually more considered adapting it to a stage play Mm.
1: Um,
0: I think it would make a potentially a better stage play than um screenplay
1: i can totally see it as a stage play have you have you seen the film Glen, gary Glen ross
0: i haven't seen that film but um, oh. a couple of podcasts that i listen to um they talk about it regularly on there do they yeah
1: in, in what context it, off the top of your head
0: and that it's their favorite film
1: ah well it's a really really fantastic film and you can totally see that it's it's based on a stage play and the way that they've translated it into a film is really amazing. But it's just that intensity of, like, location. And, and I don't know. Like you, you, I think you need to watch it. You just need to watch it. We'll have to have a, a, a dis- in-depth discussion of Glen, Gary Glen Ross in a future episode.
0: Okay, I'll try and watch it. <laughs>
1: Great is there anything else
0: you'd like to add about your audiobook uh, j- well just to finish off that last bit I, so I, basically as um, as writers i don't think it's uh, such a bad idea because we always say you know every, the advice is always you know you must read your work out loud so you can listen to its um, its uh, its ebbs and flows and spot mistakes and see where you trip up and look for problems but get someone else to read it that's another piece of advice to that you. i haven't.
1: Yeah, out loud to you.
0: Yeah, get someone to read it back to you and just watch them and hear them go wrong and hear them you know, hear, their in, hear their kind of interpretation of it. Um, and it, yeah, so it was really, I mean, it's a bit late for me because I've waited until this was the actual audio book. So um, there's not much I can do about changing things now. But um, yeah, it was really, really, a, a really fascinating exercise as a writer. It's not just to read it out loud yourself, your work, but get someone else to read it to you. Um, the last thing I want to say, just to complete the full circle, is that again, because this book has been out for uh, three years, this is old news, frankly, in the publishing world. My book, and that's not me complaining. That's just a um, a fact. It's a reality of the of any industry, you know. It's, it's again, it's fine, um, but it meant that the book hasn't had any marketing budget whatsoever. I mean, inevitably, my the marketing budget from a smaller publisher is going to be, um, you know tiny to non-existent and the author is going to have to do a lot of the work but with this it was even it was even less so i mean I, basically on my own <laughs> and and that's another reality that we have to consider as writers now is um is is you you, you have to do you get some support depending on your book deal the more that the publisher has got riding on you being a success, the more likely you are to have a marketing budget and the bigger the budget will be the bigger you are as a potential author or, or your book will be as a potential hit. But the smaller that gets, the less likely you are to get that kind of backing. So it's kind of all on you. And uh, it means that, you know, I don't know how many people have bought the audiobook, but I imagine it's uh, not a huge amount. Um and uh and like i said that's fine i always understood that would have be the case i think if if the audiobook came out shortly after the um the print version came out it might be a different story but um it didn't and that's fine but um the whole process was uh, uh, an interesting one to go through and it was different it was different to the um to the the print version because of course it, you're working with an editor to change things but once the book has been finished there wasn't really much that i could do beyond choosing a yorkshire accent I just had to wait until it was finished, basically.
1: Yeah. And audiobooks, if you take, for example, the choice you have to make about whether you want to read a print book or an e book, and that's just a, you know, a, a preference thing. Cool thing about audiobooks, I think, is that it's not just a preference thing about whether you prefer to listen to a book compared to read it, but actually, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people on this planet are not able to look at words or read a book. So you, it's, 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 so cool to be able to say that you know your book is available for people who can't read or can't see.
0: Absolutely, I'm, I'm chuffed a bit. So I hope that I'm not saying a negative. I was just one of, part of me telling the story and including all the kind of what might be considered negative bits was just to just oh, to be honest. No,
1: no, 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 there wasn't there wasn't any negative bits. I mean, honestly, <laughs> don't really, We're all positive this week. Ooh-hoo, apart from you know saying that poetry is rubbish, which I didn't really say. Um, about audiobooks, just to finish off, though, we also can put in the show notes um, a little piece from the bookseller, which has announced that audiobooks are going to be included in the Future Book Awards for the first time ever. So that's really exciting too.
0: Absolutely. And one one of the things that I – if I'd have done it myself, so if I had have effectively self-published my own audiobook, one of the things that I was going to do was – Include lots of extras and, you know, include uh, interviews potentially with me about, um, you know, about the book or the making of the book. Um, lots of little audio tidbits because, you know, we, we've got this podcast, we've got 150 plus episodes. Um, there's lots of potential for pulling out things, not, not from the podcast necessarily, but, you know, creating audio things around the book itself that I thought people might find interesting. That's not something that happens with traditional publishing, so that didn't happen either. But, um, yeah, I think the audiobook is, a, is a, a bit of an untapped kind of format. I think that publishers could do much more with them, but, um, yeah, I guess the main thing is the actual book, isn't it? Hey, have you... Uh, uh...
1: Oh, oh. I was just... I got my, my xylophone fingers out.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Have you got your xylophone uh, ready?
1: I have! That means we're ready for a listener's question. Um, And we have a question this week from Robert Mills, at Robert Mills on Twitter. Have you ever taken part in pair writing? And if so, what advice can you offer others who may be considering it? Now, I should just say at this point, I have not taken part. I I have been offered actually, which was very exciting. Somebody emailed me a contact I had through my my job. Um, We both write online about Scandinavian things. um, And uh, they asked me if I'd like to jointly write a Scandinavian crime novel with them. And I had to have a big think about it and say, do you know what? Actually, I think if I was going to bang out a novel, I'd probably like to do it on my own first time.
0: Hang on and a I minute. I don't really ha- Yeah, well. Just back up now and give my brother room. <laughs> um, you, were, you were contacted by a, yeah. a, an author and invited yeah. to co-write a Scandinavian crime novel. Yes. And you've not mentioned this on, what, 70 or 80 episodes?
1: <laughs> well, it's like no news, I thought. It's just like somebody said, hey, I've got a great idea for a novel that I'm going to write, but I'm looking for someone to write it with. Would you like to write it with me? And I said no. The reason it's news now is because they finished their Bloomer manuscript with the other person that they got afterwards. And I was like thinking, wow, in that is amazing turnaround. I mean, they asked me, what, the start of this year, I'd say? I guess that's why you do pair writing, right? So you can write quicker.
0: I mean, I guess so. I can't quite, uh, I did. you've never mentioned it.
1: No, I know, but I just, because I didn't really think, oh, by the way, someone asked me, but I said no. I mean, you know. I,
0: I, I, I should also say that I, I've invited you to do some pair writing with me. Have you? I have. You also said no to me
1: stop it what did you ask me to write with you
0: I, I I at least half invited you to co-write my long-awaited fictional podcast with me
1: yeah but you you didn't really ask me in the same way that you kind of almost semi-asked our listeners if they'd like to be involved in like a, a writer's club it's the same <laughs> you know you didn't like just directly ask me and say look this is a plan would you like to do this with me?
0: I've got a plan. Would you like to write a fictional podcast about a leisure centre with me? <laughs>
1: um, are you asking me now?
0: I'm asking you on air. This is out on the table. Oh, I'm
1: fine. Yes, I'll write a thing with you. All right?
0: <laughs> it's amazing. I've got We'll the fl- talk
1: about this later.
0: <laughs> first episode has been in the can for about a year. It's brilliant. People are going <laughs> to love it.
1: No, I mean, yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds more doable for me in my current life than a Scandinavian crime novel. I, you know, obviously hope, I really hope that they manage to get a publisher for it now that it's done. That's really exciting. But that is as close as I've come to pair writing. I can um, add, just before I, I pass over to you and your response to this question, that I knew a poet in Ireland who... Um, had, a I think, maybe three collections of poetry out, and they were also curating a poetry festival, which was uh, doing really well. And then um, I noticed that he had started co-writing crime novels, something about crime novels, um, with a lady. Um, and they call themselves Karen Perry. And they have now written two crime novels, and they have been getting award nominations, and they've been some of the selling really well in Ireland and just doing fantastically well they are also banging them out at quite a rate so um so it's going really well for them and they're they are mark they are like obviously a a pair writing it they're they're marketing themselves that they're not pretending to be one person called Karen Perry I don't think um so so yeah that's really good I would say in response to the question i guess it's really important that you know what kind of writer the other person is before you go into it i mean surely that's the most important thing don't you think ian
0: probably um i think can also just sort of set out some expectations before you before you get started with anything maybe divvy up the work in a sensible way
1: yeah and be like brutally honest about what you can do because you are you know you can let yourself down can't you with regards to writing schedules but you're not you're not going to be able to drag along somebody else for years, just saying, "Oh, you know, I just, you know, I got twins. I couldn't write last night."
0: <laughs> All right, <laughs> Only for that,
1: you can't use that excuse when you're pair writing, eh?
0: No, that's true. I did do. I think um uh, I just remembered as I've been sitting here, I did do pair writing once. If pair, if pair writing is basically just, is it just it's writing? Not writing
1: about pairs. No,
0: it's not. Okay, right. Oh, no, no, I haven't done it then.
1: <laughs> Were you really going
0: to know you weren't going to say that? No, I wasn't going to say that. When I was uh, um uh, doing my master's course, my postgraduate creative writing course, I um, I did a project, on, and it was gosh, we've come full, we've come full circle because it was um, short fiction, like really tiny fiction with just some short paragraphs, and it was a digital project called Proof. Um, one of the um, one of the tutors was sort of techno savvy for the early 2000s, and um, he'd set up a terrible, flat, as in te- technically terrible, flash-based website, and he was looking for short um, uh, dig- digital fiction, I guess, and me and another chap, who was probably 30 to 40 years older than me, um, he uh, we worked together, he was a very good writer, his name was John Beavers, I've remembered that, I don't know why I've remembered his name, and um we uh, did these short pieces of fiction and I should try and dig them out because I can probably steal them and save myself some time on Wednesdays when I publish my newsletter. So I have done it before. But I remember that we did, one of the things we did was um, stick to our own kind of thing. We didn't do much editing on each other's work.
1: Great. Okay, well, I hope that answered your question, Robert. Thanks for getting in touch and we'd love more listeners' questions for next week, wouldn't we, Ian, on Twitter?
0: Always like uh, listeners' questions. Robert is actually, uh, I, I like to call him Rob, he's um, hes a former co-host for a couple of episodes. Really? True story. He's a copywriter. Works for Gather Content now.
1: Well, I never. There you go. Cool. Um, well then, I guess you are allowed to call him Rob. I thought it was extremely presumptuous when you said it at first, but I, I guess it's fine. <laughs> hmm. Um, Yeah, so anyway, people can get in touch on Twitter with me, at The Flying Poet, and with you, at Ian Broom, two I's in it. Yeah. not sure why you've never really explained what your parents were thinking.
0: Well, um, so the spelling of... uh, People typically spell Ian I-A-N, but um, I believe the Scottish version of Ian um, either is or can be I-A-I-N. And and so you'd be right to think... uh, well, it would be understandable to think that I would have some sort of Scottish relatives or heritage, but no, no, none whatsoever. <laughs> Just something my parents did for the laugh, like giving, my, <laughs> like giving me the middle name Geoffrey as well.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, good old Geoffrey name. And how many times in your life do you think you've had to say to people, no, no, sorry, it's not spelt like that, there's two I's?
0: Um, I don't know, once a week, a couple of times? Parents
1: should think about this kind of thing, shouldn't they?
0: They absolutely should. I mean, it happens all the time. And even people who know me um, will and and, and, and and email me. So I get I will get emails and they will send me to um, so they'll see my email address and see that my name is Ian with two eyes and they will still address me as Ian. And <laughs> you know, uh, in the US, people who email me from the US, um, I mean, I love you all listeners. From the U.S., but uh, you do have a tendency to um, think that the I in Ian, the first one, is a an L, like a lo- like I like I made the mistake and written a lowercase L, and so they Lane. they address me as Lane with oh
1: that's really that's cool with
0: a capital L. Well, I don't know. I mean, La- that
1: could be your nom de plume.
0: To me, when I see myself referred to as Lane, I feel like I should have two best friends. One of them called Chuck, or the other one called Chad. Cool. and we should be called the disco boys
1: that would be awesome um that was a great little aside
0: yeah well i w- i would also like to i have we didn't get chance to uh, talk about it properly perhaps we will do next week but this is the third episode uh, since our great comeback and I I've not really talked about the newsletter in depth because I've been doing I've been doing my newsletter um, a little differently and I've been using a platform called Good Bits to do it and um, it's uh, it's been great and it's it's much more a newsletter for writers so it's kind it's not quite a companion thing for this podcast but a lot of the things that go through my head I will probably have linked to in the newsletter so if you go to the broom cupboard.com remember broom is b r o o m e the broom the broom you can see past um issues of the newsletter you can access all of the links all of the short fiction that i've been talking about earlier and um of course you can subscribe and if you are a writer then i would highly recommend it because it's primarily a series of uh, interesting articles and links and goodies for for writers that's it. That's my plug.
1: And did you say that, the, that you were going to talk more about it next week or is that it?
0: No, I think I would like to talk about how I chose, um, I've chosen a platform called Good Bits to do it on. So I, I always did my newsletters via MailChimp, which I think is quite common. There are things like AWeber um, and if you can afford it, something like ConvertKit. There are lots of ways of doing um, you know emails to people these days. Uh, but Good Bits is a new type of kind of email service Uh, there are a couple of others that do a similar sort of thing but they have like uh, an inbuilt bookmarklet for your browser that allows you to if you're on a web page you can click the bookmarklet and it comes up with a little javascript interface where you can add uh, you know a title and um, some a little description of the the link and then go yes please and it automatically goes into your next issue so it's really cut down the Curation process. Curation is an interesting word. It's not quite the right word for showing people a load of links, but it's what people use, so we'll go with it. Great. That's it. I've got nothing else. See you next week. I won't see you. Yeah. I won't, well, I will see you, actually. Oh,
1: yeah, we're going to see each other. We'll have so much to report back on next time. We're going to the biggest, the world's biggest illuminated procession together, and it's in my hometown, and we are going to tell you all about it next Time, bet you can't wait.
0: Lots of decorator lorries pulled by tractors.
1: Hooray! Or Somerset accent, drink, everybody, right for your life drinking game. Anyway, cool, dear. We better go before it gets messy.